If you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible. Waiting is not easy, even when there's an extra marshmallow in it for you. Um, Some of you are probably like, this is a good video, but man, is it going to end? There's only four and a half minutes, and it's even hard to wait sometimes. This video is of an experiment called the Marshmallows Experiment. It was actually a study done in the 1960s and 70s out of Stanford where they observed kids and their ability to wait. Uh, if, if they knew there was something worth waiting for, could they wait? Was it worth the wait? And then what they did was they tracked these kids for 20, 30 years into adulthood to see if there's a correlation between those who would wait and those uh, who were successful in life. And the point is, it's, it's not easy to wait. We don't have to be children. I actually thought about putting a marshmallow in everyone's seat and saying, don't eat it until I'm finished. But we don't need that to know that sometimes it's hard to wait. So hopefully you're in Isaiah chapter 40 now. Instead of starting at verse 1 like we normally do, turn to the very last verse, verse 31. And it says, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Who here has heard this verse? Pretty famous. Is this anyone's life verse? Yeah. Mine too. Let's, let's get coffee. Um, when I graduated DTS, uh, my sister-in-law and brother, or my sister and brother-in-law, they gave me this plaque. Uh, and um, it's, it's of this verse. And uh, it says, those who hope or wait in the Lord, uh, there it is, those who, who wait for the Lord, they will gain new strength. And as a six-year-old, when I first heard this verse, I mean, I love this verse, okay? Uh, it says, they will gain new strength, and who doesn't want to be stronger? And then it says, they're going to soar, they're going to mount up with wings like eagles. And I didn't really know what that meant, but wingle, ingles, ingles? eagles are cool. But then my favorite part was the last part where it said that they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Because many of you know I I walk with a limp, and I've walked with a limp my whole life. Uh, And so this was a great verse, because this verse brought hope and comfort. Like, my God makes people run and not get tired. And, And my God makes people walk and not get weary. And so this was like the greatest verse ever for a six-year-old who walked with a limp. And when he ran, it did not look like running. Heidi says it looked like us playing skip it without the skip it. <laughs> it's true. It's weird. And so this is a great verse. Uh, just last month, it was one of those beautiful February Saturdays, sun's out, 80s. We took Eli to the park. I'm running around with him. Uh, and then we went on this long walk. And then that night, uh, I could hardly walk from the couch to the kitchen table. Uh, and I thought of this verse. And I thought of the six-year-old boy who this was the life verse for when he said, man, my God makes people walk and run without getting tired and weary. And I have to admit, I got upset. I got sad because I'm 32. I- I'm I actually thought by the age of 20, I would be like everybody else. I don't know why I thought it was when I was 20, but that was the golden, the golden age. And I realized God didn't come through how I thought he would, when I thought he would for that six-year-old. And 
I got upset with God. And I said, fine, I guess it's just not going to happen now. And then in that moment, it was like God was whispering to my heart or a thought popped in my head that said, not now, but I will. Not now, but I will. And so in the meantime, you just have to wait. And waiting is never easy, even when you know it's worth the wait. But God brings us hope and comfort in the meantime. And that is the message of Isaiah 40. Hope and comfort in the meantime. Uh, God's people, helpless old small Judah, in chapter 39, they're told the big, bad beast of an empire, Babylon, is coming, and you're going into captivity. And so God's people are asking two questions. Here are the two questions that they're going to ask today. Would God save us from Babylon? Would God save us after all the evil we've done? Would he save us? And then the second question they're going to ask is, can God save us? Even if he would want to save us, can he save us? Because they're looking at Babylon who's outnumbered, outfought, outmatched every nation on the planet up to this point. And so who is small little Judah that they stand a chance? Could God save them? And his answer is, I will. I will save you. And that answer brings us hope, and that answer brings us comfort. And it's not just in chapter 40, it's for the rest of Isaiah, because up to this point, chapters 1 through 39, the theme has been judgment. In chapter 40, where we are today, it pivots. The whole book of Isaiah turns a direction, and now its focus is hope, comfort, restoration, and salvation. And so, Isaiah is a great verse For those of us who are kind of just hanging out in the meantime, will God save? Can God save? The passage of Isaiah is good because God says, I can, I will. However, just like for Israel, it's not always how we picture it. And like for six-year-old Eric, it's not always when we desire it. But the hard sell for me this morning is to convince you that whatever God's plan is for you, however he has it worked up to help you, It is worth the wait. So go back to verse 1 now. It says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended and that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand double for her sins. And, And the question again, the first one that they're asking is, will God save us? Would God save us after all the evil we've done? And he says that he's removed their sin. And the way it's written there, it means he's paid the debt. God is satisfied with the payment. The sin's gone. And the sin that they were doing was truly gross. They were sacrificing live babies over fire to these idols. Israel, God's people. And I actually took out the description of these sacrifices because it's that gross. But yet God removed their gross sin. And then when it says that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins, the way I take that is that there's a double portion of grace. Not only as God's showing them grace by removing their sin, God is showing them grace by now acting on their behalf and saving. And we've all been there, I think, where we've wondered, will God come through after some of the things I've done? Will God still fight for me after some of the things in my past? Uh, will God even listen to my prayers after some of the things I've said and done? 
And the answer is yes, God will. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah later in this book, 53 verse 6, says that the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. 1 John 2, 2 says that Jesus is the satisfactory payment for, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. God is satisfied in the sacrifice of his son Jesus. For our, the sacrifice for our sin, past, present, and future. God is holy and completely satisfied with the work of Jesus. So yes, God will still fight for you. He still is fighting for you. And it's because of his grace. Now, his grace is so amazing. Not, he, we get a double portion. Not only does he save us by grace, he keeps daily extending grace to us to help us. Will God fight for you after all your mess-ups? Yes. Will God save his people Judah after their evil sin? Yes. So let's see how he does it. Verse 3. A voice call, is calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. This is language of like a big event is about to happen. They would do this when a dignitary or a politician or a king and even a god was coming to town. This is what they did. And so God is coming. Verse 5. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the flesh We'll see it together. Yahweh, the warrior God, the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God, even when his people don't keep their end of the covenant, he still comes and saves today. He fights for his people. And he's the only one that does this. We can't do it on our own. Look at the next verse, verse 6. A voice says, call out. And Isaiah's like, where do I call out? And he says, say this, all flesh is grass, and all Of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. And and the the grass in this part of Israel didn't stay green very long. At its peak, it did not stay green very long. And the flower at its peak lasted maybe a week. And, And what God is saying is your best, your brightest, you at your peak, you're not enough. You need God. People don't save. People are grass that withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And here's the word or the message that stands forever. It's your God is here. You thought he abandoned you because of your sin. He's here. Verse nine, he is here. And how is he going to save? Verses 10 and 11. With one arm, he's going to rule. And then verse 11, in the other arm, he's going to comfort. He's going to gather and hold you. He rules with one arm and he comforts with the other arm. There might be people here today, there might be people watching online who are thinking, man, I'd love for God to be my God. I'd love for him to fight for me. But I don't think he will because some of the things I've done. I don't think he'll even save me because of some of the things I've done in my past. And the answer is God will because God is full of grace. God will because God is full of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We all know this, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may brag. And if someone here is thinking, well, you don't know my past, Eric. I'm telling you, Paul's ahead of you. 1 Timothy 
1, 15 and 16 says, This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm the worst of all sinners. Yet for this reason, I found mercy. I found grace. So that in me, the worst of all sinners, Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience towards those who would believe in him for eternal life. Your sin, your past, your gross sins, whatever, it can't exhaust God's patience. And your sin in your past, however hideous and heinous, it's not bigger than his grace. If, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, don't let your sin stand in the way because he's removed it. Put your faith in Jesus. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus and we still wonder about the sins that we've done in the past or maybe even yesterday, and we wonder, is God still going to be there for us? He is because God is full of grace. God's grace brings us comfort. And so Israel, even with their gross history of sin and killing babies and all that stuff, even if they think God would save us, they're asking the second question now. They're asking, can God save us? Can God save us? And to answer their question, starting in verse 12, and we'll read through 14, God says, let me tell you a little something about myself. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by measure? Who's weighed the mountains in balance, the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit or the mind of the Lord? Or as his counsel has informed him, with whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? And the answer to all these is no one. No one did any of this. It was all God. And this is especially comforting to the people of Israel, to God's people Judah. Because something you have to understand about them is they thought the success and failure of their nation, of any nation, depended upon the strength of that nation's God. So if my God's bigger than your God, we're going to win the war. But if your God's bigger, we're done. And so they're questioning, can God save us? Because they're looking at this world empire, Babylon, who's just eaten up the entire world. No one stands a chance. And here they are, this little sliver of land. And they're wondering, their God looks really big. He looks really strong. Can our God take his God? And and so these verses are incredibly important because Babylon's God, their chief God, Marduk, he needed some help according to their creation story. According to Babylonian creation story, he couldn't cut it. So he had to call in backup from a God named Wisdom. And together with Wisdom, they created the world. And so just looking at creation, God is saying, I am bigger than everyone because I don't need anyone, including their God. I'm bigger than their God, and I can save. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations, not just Babylon, the nations together are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. He's saying you can take Babylon and all their strength and all their might, you can ally them with the nations, put them on a dream team, and and they don't even begin to tip the scales in their favor against me. 
And then verse 16, Lebanon. Lebanon was known for its trees and all the animals in their forests. And he's saying not even the nation's best. They can bring their A game. The best they have to offer is not enough. So if Babylon's chief god does not compare to Yahweh, Babylon's might allied with the world doesn't compare to Yahweh's strength, who is left? Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Who can you compare me? And so verses 18, 19, 20, he deals with idols. And he says this about this. He says the nations, they make their idols, they make their gods, and they make them in their own image, in their own strength, and they're nothing. And in verse 20, it says, without the people's help, they don't even stand up straight. They'll fall down. No one compares to God. Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He reduces rulers to nothing and makes judges and princes meaningless. He merely blows on them, and they wither, and the storm carries them away. And again, in verse 25, he asks the question again, who is like me? Who is my equal? And the answer is no one. But if Judah's not convinced that their God is able to save, he throws one more. Verse 26. He says, lift your eyes on high and see who created the stars. And when we see the word stars, we think stars. When they see stars, they think Babylonian gods. Because Babylon was big time into astrology. They worshiped the stars. And they even gave the stars Babylonian names. And so verse 26 says, see who has created these stars, the one who leads them, uh, their host by number, and he calls them by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. These gods are not gods. These gods are objects of his own creation. They exist for his glory. And without his say, they don't exist at all. They hang on him. Without him, they would go missing. Our fears, our our uncertain circumstances, they don't compare to God. The things that weigh on us, the things that come at us, they're nothing compared to God. So when we're outmatched, outnumbered, outpowered, and our very best just isn't cutting it, think about verse 22 where it says he sits above the circle of the earth. God sits supreme above all. So can God save? Yeah. God can because he sits supreme above all. Can God save you? Can God help you? Can God encourage you? Can God motivate you? Yeah, because he's bigger than whatever you're going through. Whatever's got you down, whatever's keeping you down, whatever's keeping you chained down, whatever's holding you captive, whatever's oppressing you, God is bigger than those things. He sits supreme above it all. God sits above it all. And this brings comfort also to us. God is full of grace, and his grace comforts us. God is supreme above all things, and that comforts us. Look at verse 27. So why do you say, O Judah, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? 
God is saying, I'm full of grace and I sit supreme above everything. So why are you sitting here feeling like you're abandoned? Why do you say, I've forgotten about you? God has not forgotten. And the thing about Isaiah chapter 40 is Isaiah chapter 40 is written to a people in the meantime. A people who would go into captivity a hundred years after Isaiah wrote this. It's written for a people in the meantime, from the time they go into exile until the time God actually saves, the meantime which lasted 70 years. He's writing to these people, can God save us? Will God save us from Babylon? And God says, I can and I will. Not now, but I will. God's deliverance was not when Judah desired it. It wasn't how they desired it. Uh, but God said, I will. And sometimes God says, not now, but I will to us. And it, it's not how we picture it sometimes. And it's not when we desire it, but he will. And I know people here are asking that. Or you're watching online and you're asking, can God save? Will God save? Can God help? Will God help? And the answer that we keep getting is not now, not now. And it's not easy to wait. But I'm telling us who are in the not now, who are, this is just the meantime until he will. He will. So if you're like me and you keep begging God for things and you just keep getting the answer not now, not now, I'm telling you, it's just the meantime until he will. But I want to be very clear that, again, it is not always how we picture it and it is not always when we desire it. But it is worth waiting for. We just don't always understand. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it's one of those famous ones, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And to illustrate this, I think of a couple of Heidi and I's small group back in Dallas a few years ago. They were just a little bit older than us, and they were ready to make that next step, kids. And I remember we would break into guys and girls groups for prayer time, and the husband would talk about the cost, the financial cost, the cost of draining his HSA and into IVF and all this stuff. And then after a while, he started talking about the emotional cost, the cost on his marriage, the cost on him, the cost on his wife. And then it got to a point that was very clear that a baby was not in the picture for them. God said, not now. And for a lot of women, that's devastating. And I know there's women here who know this feeling all too well. And I'm sorry. But this couple trusted God. They waited for God. They accepted the fact that the plan may look very different than they originally pictured. And after some time, they moved towards adoption. And after a long process, after waiting a long time, they were set to adopt not one, but two babies, twins. And so they had the room all decorated. They had two cribs, two of everything. And the day came, the babies are being born. But the room was dark, and the crib stood empty. Because at the last minute, the birth mom decided to keep the twins. And again, God said, not now. Not now. And after waiting years, 
They finally adopted a beautiful baby girl. But it doesn't change the fact that waiting is never easy. And the longer we wait, the harder it gets. And these questions pop in our mind. Can God? Will God? And God says, I will. Sometimes he says, not now. And if you were to ask this couple, were there emotional scars? Were there wounds? Heartache? They'd say, yeah. And if you were to ask them, was it or the scars, was it worth the scars? Was it worth the wounds? Was it worth the heartache, the fights, the stress? Was it worth it? And they'd say, absolutely. Keep waiting. God's plan is worth waiting for. It doesn't mean there's not going to be scars involved or wounds or heartache. It just means in the meantime, while we wait, these scars, these wounds, these heartaches are worth it. So what do we do in the meantime? Verse 31 that those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. But again, waiting is never easy. And so what we tend to do is we take over. We tend to comfort ourselves our own way. We look to food, alcohol, look online, look to relationships that aren't right. And everything we do to comfort ourselves outside of God will not bring you hope. And everything we do to comfort ourselves outside of God will not be long-lasting comfort. And God may be telling you this morning, not now, but I'm telling you, he's saying, wait, and I will. When it says those who wait on the Lord, it means to hope. They're looking forward to something. They're looking forward to the Lord who will help them. And if if you believe that God is not full of grace... And if you believe that God really doesn't sit supreme above it all, then there's nothing to wait for. He can't come through. It says, those who wait, who hope, who trust, who lean into God, who lean upon God, they gain new strength. And to gain new strength, that doesn't mean they're like, whoo, I'm tired, I'm going to sit down, drink a Gatorade, get my second wind got new strength. This is the strength that only God provides. This is actually God's very own strength in them. This is what it looks like when you stop striving, when you stop doing everything to comfort yourself, when you start waiting and leaning and trusting in God. It's what it means while we, while we wait in the meantime for God's help. God gives us his own strength. The God who sits supreme above everything gives us his strength. A couple of verses above it, it says he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. It, that's the strength that he gives us. So when it says they will walk and not get tired, they will uh, or run and not get tired, they'll walk and not become weary, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be times where you're not physically tired or times when you're emotionally not weary. Again, what it means is he supplies the strength during the meantime. The God who sits supreme above all, his strength is given to you in the meantime to get us through until he saves and that message brings hope and comfort to me. So the band's going to come up, and we're going to finish up. I don't think God is going to make me run like I thought he would when I was six. I don't think God is going to make me walk like I had in mind when I was six, and I first read this verse. I don't think God's going to save at all like I thought in this life. And for some, that might be the same.
He might not beat the cancer when and how you want him to. He might not beat the infertility when and how you want him to. But a day is coming, as Isaiah wrote in verse 3, when a way in the wilderness will be made, when every valley will be lifted up, when every mountain will be brought low, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And on that day, verse 9 says, people are going to shout the good news. They're going to say, here is your God to save. With one arm, he's going to rule, and with the other, he's going to bring comfort. And on that day, I'm going to walk. On that day, I'm going to run. And it's a day worth waiting for. And if you're a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus, you have what the Bible calls the blessed hope. It's a day when Jesus is coming back, and these bodies are going to be done away with, and we're going to put on the incorruptible body. In seven years from then, we're going to rule this world with our King. And that is a day worth waiting for. That is a plan worth waiting for. Because God is full of grace, because He sits supreme above it all, because He's above all the junk in this world and all the junk in our life. His plan, His day is worth waiting for. So, in the meantime, while you wait, you're expecting your God to save. It may not be how you want Him to save. It may not be when you desire Him to save. But it will be worth the wait. And that truly brings hope and comfort to me in the meantime.